The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. only nine years old, just a boy out walking, when suddenly a voice said to him, Do you know what it is to be a saint? Without even thinking of what he was doing, he just spontaneously responded, There are no saints on this earth in our day. The voice continued, A saint is one who is wholly given up to God. Writing of this incident in his later years, Freeborn Gerritsen tells us, Immediately I saw such a person, the most beautiful of any I had ever beheld. I prayed to the Lord to make me a saint. Freeborn heard this same voice speaking to him several times, usually when walking alone in the fields or woods. At another time, he was aware of a promise from the scriptures being applied to his heart. Ask, and it will be given to you. Not understanding the full meaning of this word that he had received, he ran home and he told his older brothers that one day he would become very rich. We don't know exactly why this young boy should, at so early of an age, begun to hear the voice of the Lord. Perhaps it's because a godly mother was praying for him even before his birth. She was a committed Christian. His father was also a man of great integrity. The whole family attended the Church of England. But his mother had sat under the preaching of George Whitfield, and also William Tennant, a man of great piety and one of the chief founders of Princeton University. But life was not to be all visions and voices for this young man. Death visited the household when the boy was but ten years of age. It took his godly mother, his sister, and two of the family servants. This was devastating to this young boy. He would creep away to a lonely spot to weep over his great loss. His one comforting companion was a pocket New Testament, which he would read with bitter sighs and broken prayers. And then at the age of twelve... He put all of this away. He was enrolled in school, and for the next eight or nine years, he was just a boy, full of mischief, full of trouble, utterly thrown off everything that he had thought about another world. It seemed like it was just a dream in his heart. But God had a divine purpose 
for this man, freeborn Gladson. He would not leave the youth to whom he had so early revealed himself. Though the teenage years were spent carelessly and aimlessly, 18-year-old Gerritsen found himself once more confronted with thoughts of God, higher and nobler things. Freeborn had failed to find within his own church the help his soul longed for, and when the Methodist, who'd only been in America for about four years, when they began with their circuit-riding preachers, the young man was curious to hear these people who had so been maligned and hated. He attended a meeting where Robert Strawbridge from Ireland preached with a, a burning intensity. And this sermon fanned to life that almost dead desire for God. He tells in his journal how he sat up until midnight talking to this preacher after the service was over. He said, I've never spent a few hours so agreeably in my life. Now, in later years, when writing to John Wesley, he said of this period in his life, it was three years from my conviction before I was brought through the pangs of the new birth. Pangs rightly described in his experience. There is never a true birth into Christ without travail. Already, Freeborn was beginning to experience what was foretold by Christ when he said, I came not to send peace but a sword. His father became disturbed about his son's attendance at these services that he disapproved of because of the stigma attached to such gatherings. It was around this time, however, that he lost his father. And this left a young man, freeborn, manager of the farm, the mill, and various other businesses. They were a wealthy family. And so at 20 years of age, the young man's worldly prospects were very bright, and yet the goads of the Almighty God were in him. The preaching of the last few years had fastened itself upon his conscience, producing guilt. Then several accidents occurred, which could have been most serious. It made him think deeply. One day, while he was crossing a fast-flowing stream, he slipped and fell into the water. It was a narrow escape from drowning. The faithful questioner of his soul asked, What would have become of your soul had you drowned? Freeborn said, I wept bitterly and prayed to the Lord under a great sense of my guilt. Still my stubborn heart was not willing to submit, though I began to carry a little hell in my heart. Another encounter with death reminded him of God's claim on his life. This time, while riding down a, a steep hill, his horse stumbled and threw him. He hit a rock, and he lay there unconscious, while his horse blundered over him. When at last he regained his consciousness, 
he immediately began to thank God for saving him, promising to serve him all the days of his life. From that time on, he began to read all of the religious books he could find. He often prayed in secret. He went to church regularly. But he still knew in his heart he was not a Christian. If he had lived in the days of our degenerate form of evangelism, he would perhaps not have had such a fierce struggle but neither would he have experienced so decided a new birth. Now, just a note on the side. Many of these old-timers, of which I share their stories on Pilgrim's Progress, they had an experience that we just don't seem to find anywhere today. Today it's all simple and easy, just a scent, and agree with the doctrines of the church, say that you will accept Jesus, and then the preacher says you're saved. You're still full of lust, you're still full of anger and bitterness, you're still, you haven't been changed. You're still a servant of the devil, but now you've been vaccinated against the, the Lord of heaven and earth. And so today, the majority of people sitting in America's churches have a form of godliness, but no power, no passion, worse than lukewarm. And Jesus said to the lukewarm, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. What is he going to do to those who are less than lukewarm? They're going to come on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these wonderful things? And he's going to say, depart from me. I don't know who you are. Because to know Jesus requires a new birth. And to have a new birth requires great pangs and agonies of heart to confront honestly the condition of your soul. Most of you have no time to consider the condition of your soul. You are sentimental to the max. You are driven by every wind of doctrine. You have no foundation in Jesus because you've never paid the price to be serious about who Jesus is. And so the, the excuses the lusting after the entertainment of the world, going to church, taking the communion, but it means nothing. It means nothing because you never have gone through the birth pangs of facing honestly the scrutiny of the Holy Spirit upon your heart and confessed your sins and had them removed from you. Instead, you've been taught, oh, you confessed your sin and you accepted Jesus? Well, don't worry, you're going to always be a sinner. Until the day you die, you're going to continue to walk in sin. Everybody sins all the time. No, they don't. That's a lie. It's a deception by deceiving pastors, and it will take you to hell. Am I being forthright enough? Many of you listening to this broadcast today 
have an honest interest in the things of God. But you have not surrendered your life to God. You still are in possession of yourself. You still walk in the wickedness of this world. Oh, you've gussied up a little bit. You've perhaps dropped some of the grosser sins from your life, but you're still filled with self. You're uninterested in the deeper things of God. You spend almost no time searching the scriptures and crying out to God and asking him to come in and totally reveal your condition before him. See, the question is not, have you accepted Jesus? The question always has been, has Jesus accepted you? You cannot grow out of sin. Any more than the vine Jesus speaks of in John 15 any more than the blight on that vine can be treated in any any way other than the Father coming and just cutting it off. The only way Jesus knows to deal with sin is amputation. But because we love our sin, we want to play with it, and then we want to talk to Jesus about it, and then we want to be sentimental about it. Never just coming to the point where we say, I am done with wickedness. I am finished with my sin. I will serve Jesus Christ. Until that agony of heart is gone through, you're not saved. I listened to a woman. If I named her, you would immediately know her. She's one of the best-known wives of one of the best-known evangelists in all of America. I listened to her testimony. She was asked, what is your testimony of how you were saved? And she said, well, I was born in a Christian family, and I guess I've always been saved. I don't recall any time when I had to make the decision to follow Jesus. I've always wanted to follow Jesus. That woman was not saved. She was simply vaccinated by a gospel. She was in the flesh, a good person, as good as in the flesh can be. But she was never born from above. You cannot be born from above and not go through the birth channel. It's impossible. You cannot take the religion of your parents and say, okay, I accept what they said and now I'm saved. No, you're not. It's not accepting Jesus. It's will Jesus accept you and accept you are born again. You cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It requires an agony of heart. If you've not gone through that, you must be born again. I have a note I keep on my desk, if I can find it quickly. Um, 
No, I, I have too many notes on my desk. But basically it's saying that the old time preachers had a very simple message. And that message was, you must be born again. You must leave your sin and you must follow Jesus. Somebody this past Sunday stood up during our testimony time and they said, Pastor Ray really only has one message. He just names it a different thing every Sunday. He laughed and he said that one message is that you must leave your sin, you must be born from above, and you must walk as Jesus walked. <laughs> That's true. As you listen to this broadcast, that is the message of the gospel salvation for this hour in America. Now, freeborn... at 20 years of age, very bright worldly prospects. He has several accidents, and these turn his heart toward the Lord, but he knows he's not a Christian. He's not going to accept the degenerate form of evangelism. He's not going to buy into the sinning Christian. The preachers whose lives had influenced him were preachers who suffered opposition. They had, for the most part, little of this earth's goods, and they were absorbed with what he saw as just one passion, and that passion was to do the will of God. To be a Christian meant for him not affluence, not prosperity, not health, not even all the good things that are thrown in as a bonus. To him, it clearly meant the way of the cross. And so while he dared not ridicule that kind of walk, he did not want any part of it. And yet he was attracted by it. Over and over again, Young Gerritsen would travel miles to hear one of these circuit preachers, though still he would not submit his life to the God they served. He was mystified by the evangelical message, and as he listened to Francis Asbury, it appeared to Gerritsen that his doctrine seemed as salve to a festering wound and he began to follow this preacher one place to another, and as he did so, every message caused the conviction in his heart to deepen. He wrote, He began to wind me about in such a manner that I found my sins in clusters as if they were around me, and the law in its purity probing to the very bottom and discovering the defects of my heart. I was ready to cry out, how does this stranger know me so well? And then came a morning. It was June 1775. It was just the break of day. 
and he was awakened by an awful voice speaking to him. It said, You are not prepared to die. It was as though thunder had entered his room, and jumping from his bed, he shouted, Lord, if this be the case, have mercy upon me. Though it was a rainy day, he determined to go and hear the simple but honest circuit preacher, Daniel Ruff. Here, in his own words, let him describe that momentous time. On my way home, being much distressed, I lighted from my horse in a lonely wood and bowed my knee before the Lord. I sensitively felt two spirits, one on each hand. The good spirit set forth to my innocent mind the beauties of religion, and I seemed almost ready to lay hold of my Savior, and then would the enemy rise up on the other hand and dress religion in as odious a garb as possible. Yea, it seemed in a moment to set the world and the things of it in the most brilliant colors before me, telling me all these things should be mine if I would give up my false notions and just bow in service. I continued this way on my knees a considerable time, and at last began to give way to the reasoning of the enemy. My tender feelings abated, and my tears were gone. My heart was hard, but I continued on my knees in a kind of meditation, and at last addressed my Maker thus. Lord, spare me one more year, and by that time I can put my worldly affairs in such a train that I can serve thee. The answer came immediately. Now is the accepted time. I then pleaded with the Lord to give me six months, but this was also denied. One month! No! I then asked for one week. The answer was, This is the time. For some time the devil had been silent till I was denied one week in the devil's service. Then it was that he shot a powerful dart. He said, The God you are attempting to serve is a hard master, and I would have you to desist from your endeavor. Carnal people know very little of this kind of exercise. But it was as perceptible to me as if I had been conversing with two people face to face. Let me stop for a moment. Some of you have not ever heard the audible voice of God. I have on a number of occasions. Why have you not heard God speak to you? He said very clearly that he was going to speak to his people, that we would know him in the book of John, my sheep know my voice. He said, if I go, I'm going to come back, take you. But then further on in that same chapter, he says, my father and I will come and make our abode in you. 
and you will see me. Why is it that so few today can testify that they have ever heard the voice of God? Why is it that there is no struggle, a freedom to commit sin with a slight tinge of conscience? Why is this so? Because our conscience has been seared by the devil with the entertainment of our day by the internet, the television, the professional sports, the telephone, the cell phone with all the selfies and all the stuff that goes with it. The devil has decided that he will so fill our minds with activities and with responsibilities and with everything of the foolishness of this world, with the news with every issue being a sudden issue, someone crashes an airplane in Afghanistan and the whole world knows it. Why do I need to know that? I don't need to know that. Sad, yes, but I don't need to know about it. But we have learned to absorb every bit of information from the world into our hearts, and so there is nothing left for Jesus If you want to hear from Jesus, you're going to have to lay aside the world. You're going to have to turn away from your busy schedule. <laughs> it's interesting. I've, I've tried this now several times. I'll go to meet with friends who are not of the National Prayer Chapel. And they'll say to me, how are you, Ray? I'm doing well, thank you. And then I say, I've been very busy. And they say, oh, that's a good thing. We need to be busy. And then I'll say to them another time, How are you, Ray? I'm doing well. Well, what's happening? Well, nothing's really happening. I'm not busy. I'm just following Jesus. And they look at me like I'm from Mars. What do you mean? You're a pastor. You're not busy. What are you doing wrong? Pastors are supposed to be busy people. People actually say to me, Pastor, you're very busy. I don't have, I know you don't have time to talk to me, but, but please, could we just have a minute? And I will say to them, I'm not busy at all. And they look at me like, then I don't think you're worth talking to. I'm spending my time with Jesus. I'm fellowshipping with him in the word. I'm spending my time in prayer and supplication. I'm interceding. I'm not busy in this world. You see, I don't see the pastor as a program manager. I don't see the pastor as a CEO. It was some of the early men of, of our history who spent great amounts of time in the presence of Jesus. John Wesley, it said, wore hollowed out places on his prayer rock 
in his room. He actually left marks in the rock from his hours of prayer. I'm not busy. I refuse to be busy with this world or the things of the flesh. I have time for for Jesus. I fellowship with him. And when I need to hear from him, he speaks to me in a dream, in the scriptures, a brother or sister, or directly, as I'm speaking to you. The Lord is very gracious, and he is jealous for our time and our attention. Freeborn Gerritsen argued with the devil and argued with the Lord. He finally, with his heart filled with hardness, an unbelieving heart, unwilling to submit to Jesus, he said, oh, what a good God I had to deal with. I might in justice have been sent to hell. I had not rode a quarter of a mile before the Lord met me powerfully with these words. I've come once more to offer you life and salvation, and it is the last time. Choose or refuse. I was instantly surrounded with a divine power, heaven and hell, were disclosed to view and life and death were set before me. I do believe if I had rejected this call, mercy would have been forever taken from me. I knew the very instant when I submitted to the Lord and was willing that Christ should reign over me. I likewise knew the two sins which I parted with last, pride and unbelief. Pride and unbelief. These are the two most difficult sins to dig out of our soul. And they can only be dug out by the power of the Spirit of God. And if you do not allow him time in prayer and meditation and the reading of Scripture, if you do not allow him the time by going to a church where you will hear a holy message that will set your heart on fire and convict you, if you do not do these things, you will never enter into life in Jesus Christ. It's like the master carpenter he reaches for a chisel and then he sees that the edge has been destroyed and he puts the chisel back and he picks up another chisel with a sharp, smooth edge and he uses that chisel to form and shape what he wants to make. 
What kind of chisel are you? Are you one that if the master picks you up, he's going to put you down? Are you the chisel that Jesus cannot use because you have wasted your time and your energy? You have played you have played the darkness? Tell me, what kind of chisel are you? What kind of chisel are you? This man of God continues. I threw the reins of my bridle on my horse's neck. And I put my hands together and I cried out, Lord, I submit. I was less than nothing in my own sight. And now, for the first time, reconciled to the justice of God. The enmity of my heart was slain. The plan of salvation was opened to me. I saw beauty in the perfection of the deity, and I felt the power of faith and love. I'd never felt it this way before. And so began the Christian life of freeborn Gerritsen. I want to read for you a passage of scripture. It's found in the book of Second Peter. I'm going to go much more in depth in this passage later, but today I just want you to listen. Second Peter, the first chapter, I'll begin reading with verse 2. Grace to you, and may peace be multiplied by the full knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as all things for life and godliness have been given to us by his divine power, through the full knowledge of the one having called us for glory and moral excellence. Now, who was this written to? Well, listen. In verse 1, to the ones having obtained a like precious faith with us in the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. The book of Second Peter was written to people like Gerritsen, who had made the full commitment to Jesus Christ and who had walked into his righteousness not as a shell game, but for real. And to these people who have made that total sellout, that total commitment that I will be the servant of the Most High God, he says, grace to you. Grace is the divine influence of God. Grace to you. May peace be multiplied by the full knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In other words, when you come to him and you finally are birthed, you are granted a full knowledge of God and of Jesus. And all things for life and godliness are given to you by the divine power, the dynamite, through the full knowledge of the one having called us for glory and moral excellence, you have been called to say yes 
to be born again, to put away sin. It is a painful process to be born. You have been called for glory. You have been called for moral excellence. Robert Law, that wonderful pastor of old who wrote a book on righteousness, he writes, Righteousness, holiness, love, and true knowledge This is restoration from the fall, the result of having been born again. Eternal life is the divine nature reproducing itself in human nature. It is the energy of the Spirit of God, of the Father and of the Son, in the spiritual nature of man. This is what Robert Law that wonderful, highly respected old preacher of old. This is what he taught. Is the eternal life of God producing in you a human nature that is filled with righteousness, holiness, love, and true knowledge? Have you been given full restoration from the fall. This is the result of being born from above. If you have not received this, you have not been born again. And you are walking in the delusion of your own mind. Now please hear what I'm saying to you today. There is a place of such depth and such righteousness and such holiness and the cheap degenerate religion of our day will not do to take you into eternity. You will be lost. Can I say this, please? You cannot get to heaven with a few minutes a day reading some polite little weak need, feminized, some message that some man or woman has written, some daily devotional. I hate daily devotionals. They are a lie. I want the word of God. I want God himself to speak to me. We have made so cheap the gospel of Jesus Christ today. Let me tell you, this cheap gospel of easy, greasy grace will never suffice to take you as it has the Chinese. The Chinese have received a full gospel where they strive to walk with the Lord and their lives are forfeit by the Chinese government. The Chinese government is right now ripping crosses by the thousands off the churches. The government in America will never have to rip the crosses off the churches because the church voluntarily took the crosses out of the church because they didn't want to offend anybody with the cross. I'm so tired of these little effeminate churches and effeminate preachers who won't speak the truth in love. 
I mean, it was Pastor David Wilkerson from the Times Square Church shaking his finger in my face at the beginning of the National Prayer Chapel. He said, he said, Ray, preach judgment with mercy. I hope today you hear both. I hope you hear both. Gerritsen, as he confesses Jesus Christ, actually saw the devil vanish away. And he was awakened in his spirit with joy, with happiness, with strong confidence. He thought, I shall never doubt again. Freeborn Gerritsen was a man of his word. He was very decisive in his actions. If he said once, I will go, it was for a lifetime that he would go. It was irrevocable. And no subsequent hardship on the way would cause him to take his hand from the plow. And so for the next 52 years, he was to be a Methodist circuit-riding preacher. What a life he lived. What an adventure he took. But he would have failed. He would have missed that adventure had he not said yes to Jesus. Talking about what he faced as a circuit-riding preacher in Nova Scotia, he wrote, Once I was imprisoned. Twice I was beaten. I was left on the highway speechless and senseless, unconscious. Once shot at, guns and pistols presented at my breast. Once delivered from an armed mob in the dead of night on the highway by a surprising flash of lightning, Surrounded frequently by mobs, stoned frequently, I've had to escape for life at the dead of night. He was then reassigned to a parish area in New York, New England. But he rode from Boston all the way south to the Carolinas, preaching and teaching the gospel of, of grace and of righteousness. He wrote, My dear Lord, this is what he wrote in his personal diary. My dear Lord, in a very powerful and sudden manner, you gave me to see and feel the need of this blessed work, the work of entire sanctification. I've had many sweet moments with a precious family but this discovery was made to me while I was alone in the preacher's room. 
I expected in a few moments to be in eternity, and the cry of my heart was, Lord, save me from from my inbred sin. The purity of God, heaven, and the law with the impurity of my heart were so disclosed in my view that I was humbled in the very dust. I expected never to enter the kingdom of heaven without a greater likeness to my dear Lord. For more than a week, an earnest struggle continued in my heart, for in the mind which was in Christ, my appointments were made, or I was apprehensive I should have declined preaching so pure a gospel. Still the heart corruptions which I felt were washed away. The enemy strove very hard to rob me of my confidence, but although I was at times brought very low, yet I did not let go of my hold of the dear Redeemer, the witness of my justification. He understood justification to mean the forgiveness of all past sins and the being made righteous in the present. And yet as he's writing this in his diary, he is recognizing the depths of the corruption that still remain in his soul. This this godly man who had sacrificed everything for the sake of the gospel was being called deeper into Jesus, to the likeness of Jesus. Do you see how utterly shallow that makes us? Now, again, this passage in Peter. Let me read it for you. I'll begin in verse verse 3. This is 2 Peter 1, verse 3. As all things for life and godliness, having been given to us by his divine power through faith, knowledge of the one who called us for glory, and moral excellence, through which things he has given us the precious and great promises that through these ye may be partakers of the divine nature, having already escaped from the corruption in the world by lust. In other words, you've already escaped the corruption that is outward, but now there is an inward corruption that must be dealt with. And he's saying the precious promises of God are there for us, that by faith, even that corruption from the inner soul can be removed, wiped away, forgiven. Do you see how utterly shallow that makes us? in this 20th century, 21st century degenerate church. Oh, my brother, my sister. It's time to get serious with Jesus. It's time to be born from above. He said, one day I went to my appointment and while the people were gathering I withdrew about a quarter of a mile from the house and wrestled with the Lord in prayer and thought I could not meet the congregation unless I was delivered from my inbred chains. However, after the people had waited about an hour. What? 
The people are sitting and waiting for an hour for this preacher to come from his prayer time and preach. And today, if the preacher were to sit for 15 minutes, the whole congregation would get up and leave. They don't expect the preacher to speak for more than 15 or 20 minutes at the most. One dear man, a leader in a local church here in northern Virginia, said to me, we we love our new pastor. I said, why do you love your new pastor? He said, because he only preaches for 15 or 20 minutes and then we're able to get out of there. We can get We can get home in time for the football game. And I said to him, my dear brother, you would not ever want to come to the National Prayer Chapel because I'm going to preach for 45 minutes to an hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes. We're going to go in depth in the scriptures. He said, oh, you would never be able to pastor or preach at our church. Everybody would get up and leave. I'm so tired of cutesy little sermons. Weak words from weak men. I'm tired of it. He says, I withdrew about a quarter of a mile from the house and wrestled with the Lord in prayer and thought I could not meet the congregation until I was delivered from my inbred chains. However, after the people had waited about an hour, I went to the house but my struggle seemed to be at the height. I thought I would pray with the people and just dismiss them. After prayer, my Lord gave me this text. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Never had I such freedom before that time to describe, first, the impurity of the heart, second, how it is to be purified, and third, the blessing consequent thereupon, that they shall see God. While I was speaking of the travail of the soul for purity, all of my inward distress suddenly vanished, and I felt a little heaven on earth. I know that the Lord deepened his work, but I did not claim the witness, yet my soul was happy from day to day. From that time I began to preach the doctrine of Christian perfection more than ever. The plan seemed to be as clear to me as the noonday sun, and many were convinced of the need. Some were brought into perfect liberty as God's children. The word of our dear Lord prospered in the circuit, and some of the children of Bilal were stirred up to persecute us. Again, he wrote in his journal, I preached on Christian perfection, and the word seemed to have a salutary effect on the minds of many. It is sweet, it is a sweet doctrine to me. Oh, for more of that perfect love. I want to live and die at the footsteps of the blessed Jesus. Oh, what a bright grace is humility. I want more of it. I'm not saved from ignorance or shortcomings, neither from mistakes or infirmities of various kinds, yet I believe to be 
a Christian's privilege to love God with an undivided heart and his neighbor as himself. Why should professors of religion plead so strenuously for sin? I am resolved to cry it down both by precept and example. I'm hearing I have two minutes left in this broadcast. There's so much more I want to share with you. You're listening to Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. This is Pilgrim's Progress. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, or you can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Thank Thank you, many of you who have responded with tithes and offerings to cover the cost of this broadcast. You've written such wonderful, warm notes of encouragement to my heart. Thank you. I pray God's blessing for you today. Oh Lord, I pray for your people. I cry aloud for your people that we would leave this degenerate religion of America and we would find a place in you, Jesus, that is real, that can take us through the promised land to come to Zion, the city of God. Thank you, my Lord. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory